Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans. In the virtual studio today, we have Justin. Yo. Al. What's going on? Myself, Anthony, and a very special guest joining us, former Orlando Magic forward, Andrew Nicholson. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. What's up? What's going on? Not much. Just, you know, at home, social distancing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How's, um, I, I, obviously here in Florida, we're still kind of working through some tinks. We're trying to force a reopening, but, um, right now you're in Toronto, Canada. How's that going over there for you? I mean, it's been, uh, it's been good so far. We've had this quarantine, uh, happen for like a little over a month now. And, uh, um, only essential businesses and like, you know, restaurants are available for like delivery and takeout, but, um, they're pretty, they're strapping it pretty hard up here. Um, I think they're going to make an announcement within the week about what they can open those smaller businesses. Cause I think they're starting to flatten the curve a little bit, but until then, you know, I'm just here at home. I only go out for groceries and some fresh air and the balcony. That's about it. So that's, that's the way to do it. So what, what have you been doing to stay busy? Um, so I've been doing a lot for my, um, my nonprofit camp, uh, 44 hoops, you know, we've just been uh, on the phone, just uh, trying to, you know, raise more awareness and like um, we're, offering like certain programs for the camp now um, because we can't have it this summer, obviously, but um, we're thinking of ways where we can help, you know, like the alumni of the camp. We've had it for about six years now. So just staying in touch with the kids and uh, making sure that they're all doing well uh, is what we're pretty much doing now. So we're doing the groundwork for next year right now. Awesome. What about for fun? What are you doing for fun? Are you watching any, any Netflix, any, anything that's keeping you busy on that end? Yeah, for fun. I mean, um, I'm playing a lot of Warzone at night, so I mean, you know, I, I know everybody's on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, I make TikToks now just for fun too. I mean, my fiance Holly, you know, we we love the app. It's very positive. It's very fun. It's very easy to do as well too. You're a condo. You're an avid TikToker because the uh, the TikTok videos that because I just got put on. My wife just recently put me on. She shows me videos here and there, and it's really entertaining. But you're you yeah. you seem like an advanced TikToker. Like your videos, you, know, you got clips and edits. You got I the whole night. that. I still think I'm an amateur. I mean, I just come up with like whatever ideas. And I just apply it to like everyday life. Like I, I did a dishwasher one the other day where you <laughs> wash the dishes with a spoon. It's going to go everywhere, right? So we just made a little theatrical. It's just a lot of editing, really. That's really the, the tough part. But other than that, they don't take me that long to make. How does the I've never so I I tried to use TikTok a couple times, but it felt a little too complicated for me. The editing and the music, but I don't know when people put it on, it just feels so seamless. So I think it's an awesome yeah. editing tool for sure. There's some, there's some people in there who are just like pros, like they just make it seem like they have like a 15 second movie on there. But um, I just know like when to like cut film, you know adding music and stuff and it's fun you know i'm learning a lot about that you know during this time too so it's just another i guess we could say skill i can add to the reference <laughs> there you go <laughs> now you mentioned that you were playing a little call of duty um so in terms of gaming are you more xbox or playstation because we we have a team that we're a little divided right now i'm xbox 1000 percent from day one yes uh, there, oh man there you go the, the thing about playstation is that 
you know, they have the same games as Xbox, but all the exclusive games of PlayStation are all single player. So it's like mm-hmm. they're mostly for, you know, players who like to run like the, so- the solo RPGs and stuff. But whatever you can get on PS- PS4, you can get on Xbox in terms of playing with like multiplayer and friends and stuff. So, so there- big- that's a good take. So yeah. there, there you go, Al. You're hearing it from Andrew that you need to get an Xbox. Let's move it along. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing is we can crossplay though. There's a uh, there's that's true. Platform, so that's the good thing with Warzone. The PC guys just destroy everybody. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's just the hackers that they they don't have all these tricks on how to hack the games. That you know that makes it easy for them. Yeah, I think crossplay should be something that's implemented yeah. throughout. Um, <laughs> so tough. You know, we all have friends that have PlayStations, and we want to play 2K, you know? Yeah. Like, how bad is that feeling where you're asking a friend, you know, oh, you got the same game? What system you're on? They say they're on PlayStation, and you're on Xbox. You're like, ah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. You feel left out. Like your friends try to convince you. <laughs> your friends try to convince you to buy yeah. a PlayStation, but you know it's not worth it. Actually, <laughs> it's the other way around. So I actually convinced one of my good friends to sell his PS4 to get an Xbox, <laughs> and he did it. That works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He told it. He's like, man, I don't know why I had this because no one had no one had a. PlayStation in our like group of friends. So. But you know what? You br- you bring up a really good point because you're right. A lot of the exclusive games from PlayStation they are single player, and we're yeah. really in the time frame. You know, it's 2020 where everything's all about social, social, social. So if you really have a game that you can't really play with, you know, your friends, how how entertaining is it? Especially these games where you know you're competitive. You know, you you don't care about yeah. the story mode. You're trying to beat the the team. You're trying to beat the people that you play with. The whole nine. So. Yeah. Hundred sure. percent about yeah. the competition. I love it. PlayStation will be good. Like when I go, like when I go to China, I mean, it's hard for me to play with people over here because a the time zone and b the internet is terrible over there. So, um, if I had a PlayStation over there, that actually would have been better because I could just play by myself. There you go. Essentially, mm-hmm. so, that makes sense. It's a silver lining in that. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get to know you a little bit, Andrew. So. Um, obviously everyone's really familiar with you from, um, the time that you spent with us, but before we jump into, um, your time with the magic, who are your biggest influences growing up? What really got you into basketball? Uh, so I actually started basketball super late. This was like, uh, junior year of high school is when I really got into it. So prior to that, I wasn't really on a team. I wasn't doing anything competitive. I mean, I played at recess cause I was tall, right. But you know, I wasn't very good. So I um, really got into I – w- I was actually into baseball uh, prior to basketball. So I grew up playing baseball, you know, t-ball, rookie ball. And, and uh, I was about, what, nine years, I think? I played – yeah, I played about nine years then. I went to high school. I tried out for the baseball team, and you know, I was super tall, so my strike zone was super tall, <laughs> so I wasn't very good. So basketball coach came up to me and was like, you know, hey, come you know, try out for the team. You're tall. We can, we can use someone like you. So I was out there. Uh, very raw, but you know, I had the good movement and stuff, and I just kind of grew on me from there. That's impressive. So you started playing junior year in high school, and you were able to make junior. it to play in college and and make it to an NBA career. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot, a lot of work in college, man. I, I took every summer. I stayed in college. You know, um, I got ahead in courses, and I was just spending hours and hours in the gym because the city that I, um, my university was in, only in New York very small like 12,000 people in the whole city so during the summer there's literally nothing to do there's two hours of class and then there's 
you know, 22 hours left in the day. So I'm in the gym. To sh I shot maybe thousands and I thousands and thousands of jump hooks. That's all I was doing. And um, it just paid off. You know, I worked on my touch and I ended up working on my shot and enabled me to get to the next level. Do you feel as if you being a late bloomer starting basketball as a junior that puts you at a, at a disadvantage? Um, I feel like it's, it was the right time for, for me to start. Um, I mean, cause who knows if I started early, maybe I could have peaked at a different point, you know, but I think at, at some point, you know, everything like kind of happens for a reason and happened for the right time. So uh, me being able to make it to that level because of the dedication, hard work and the, and the passion I actually had for the game at that point really, you know, enabled me to, um, to, to get there. So when you, when you started playing, you know, as a junior, did you have immediate aspirations of like, I want to make it to the NBA or was it more like, I'm, I'm just interested in this. So I'm just going to work and, and get there. So when I was a junior, um, I was really big into education. So the route I was going to go, I was planning to be a doctor. I was planning to go to med school. So I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm pretty, I'm getting good at basketball. Let me use this to get me a free education. So I did that. And I, I started taking uh, chemistry in um, St. Bonaventure. And it was around my second year where the coach pulled me aside. And he was like, you know, you're, you're doing very well. Like you can go pro. And I was, you know, I kind of looked at him, looked at him crazy. I thought he was joking. He's like, no, I'm serious. Like you can be you know, a professional. You have great touch. You have a great shot. And if you keep working, you know, the next two years, you can be overseas or in the NBA. So I then switched my gears from going to the med school field to actually focusing more on basketball. And I switched my major from chemistry to physics that way because with chemistry, I had three labs a week and we were always traveling. So my partner was pissed. So I was missing labs. I had to come back late and make it up. So I, I went to something um, less taxing. And the physics enabled me to only have one lab a week and it was mostly theory. So um, doing that, you know, I got ahead in courses. I started to, you know, learn more about the game and uh, what I needed to get myself better for at the next level and enable me to come to you guys. That's pretty awesome. So education is one of those things that was really important to you. Um, I know it plays a huge role in, in um, the 44 Hoops camp as well. Uh, how does your passion for education kind of translate to the work that you're doing with the kids? So we um, are really big on discipline. We want them to be professionals, not only on the court, but in the classroom as well, too. So uh, with that being said, so for example, we want to show the the connection of, you know, like if I want to get better at ball handling and shooting and, and you know, passing, whatever it is, you know, I got to put in the time, I got to put in the extra hours, the extra work. And we want to show them that you can do the same, the same mentality that you guys have to get better on the court is the same mentality you have in the classroom. And that's what I used to do too when I was younger. So if I was stuck on a math problem, you know, I would like research and I would get tutors. I would, I would actually get, you know, external help. But once I understood it, I would like further my, you know, like I want to know more. I want to know more about it. And some of the times, you know, I'd be ahead of like what's uh, the assignments to be because I'm like, hey, you know, I, I researched that already. I looked at that already. So I want kids to have that same initiative to want to strive and get better, you know, in the classroom as well as they want to strive and get better on the court as well too. I think it, it shows that because you you spent the four years as a student athlete at St. Bonaventure in, in New York and whatnot. Now, do you feel as if the four years that you had in college helped you better prepare for the transition of moving to the NBA? 
I, th I think it did because um, like I could have came out my third year. I'm not sure how where I would have been or where I would have got picked, but I, I decided, you know, hey, I got one more year. I want to get my degree because I don't know where this basketball journey can take me because, I mean, one injury, one whatever it is, can, your career will be done. But if you get your degree, there's something no one will ever take away from you. There's always something you have in your back pocket. So um, it also gave me another year to you know get my body better because in college I was very thin. I was 220. You know, and, and the NBA, you know, at that time, you know, power forwards at that time were like 6'10". Right. Yep. Big body. Strong. Yeah. So it enabled me to, you know, put, put a little more mass on, work more on my skills, work on my weaknesses as well as, you know, get a degree that I'll have forever. And it was a win-win situation. And I'm glad I stayed in four years. So that's good. So it, it ended up paying off for you because you were drafted 19th overall, right, in the in the 2012 draft. Um Talk a little bit about what that draft experience was like for you. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, so being able to, I think I worked out for 13 teams. And um, just seeing like, uh, you know, fellow, um, you know, athletes who I've seen you know, on TV, played against, you know, all strive for the same goal. You know, we're traveling like kind of like an NBA schedule. You know, you work out one day, you're in the next city the other day. So experiencing that was just like, you know, an eye opener. Like this is how it's going to be. So. I started to learn, like, you know, I need to get my rest. I need to eat properly. Like, you know, I got to work out the next day or I got to fly to this other part of the city. So it, it was very surreal, you know, seeing some of the, the stars on the team, too, was in the gym while we were working out was something I'll never forget. It was Any favorite memories for you going through the draft process and, you know, getting drafted? It's a lot of work. Any favorite memories you can recall from that experience? Uh, one of my favorite memories was, you know, after I worked up for my last team, you know, they asked if I wanted to go to the, the draft, you know, the draft party where everybody goes and shake uh, Jacob Sturgeon's hand. But, you know, I kind of wanted to uh, do it a little different. So we actually rented um, a section up here in Toronto and I had all my closest friends and family, you know, people from uh, my university, my high school, you know, family from everywhere. They all just came in and we had the draft party there. So being able to, you know, hear my name be called around them was something I'll never forget. I still actually still have the picture somewhere, but it's, it was amazing. I actually remember amazing. seeing that footage. I remember seeing that footage and the level of excitement that, that you showed when your name was called even more. So getting drafted by the magic was like, I, I can imagine granted everyone has the dreams of being drafted whatever the case may be so i can only imagine how surreal that moment was and again the level of excitement that you showed really showed that you know you were excited to be part of not only the nba but the destination of where you were going as well yeah absolutely i remember i came to uh, worked out i think orlando was my my fourth or fifth workout and you know just being in the the city down there i was like you know this place is cool it's warm it's it, it's quiet it's 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 amazing. I walked to the facility. The facility, I think, um, was mm -hmm. like recently built. I think it was like relatively new at that time. So I was like, wow, the facility is amazing. Uh, Rob Hennigan was uh, going to be the the GM there at that time too, and I had a great workout with them in OKC. Um, yeah, I was just I was like Orlando, like oh my gosh, like that's a great city. I actually have some family in uh, Kissimmee as well too. So oh, that worked out. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> Now uh, I'm I'm put you on the spot. I'm gonna put you on the spot real quick. Since we have family in Kissimmee, can can you spell Kissimmee? <laughs> because that, that it, this is like this is, it's one of those words that you only know how to spell, 
if you're familiar with the area? Is it K I S S I? Was it two? Is it M M E? Or is it M E? It's M M. It's M M E, but there's another E on top of it. So there's it's. Uh, so there's two yep. M's and two, two E's. And two E's. <laughs> there, okay. There, there's two S's, two M's, two E's, but I still give you credit because that's that's a tough one. Yeah, that that is tough. <laughs> So what would you say um, during your, your time in the NBA, who would you say uh, from your memory is one of the toughest defend, like gar- guys that you had to defend? I remember I had to defend, um, we played Utah my rookie year. So, we, so Al Jefferson was there. He's just so skilled and so big, man. Oh, my gosh. That was that was an eye-opener. And, and he, we, our games are similar, too. You know, his old man game, you know, shot fake, jump hook. But he was just far more advanced than what I had to do. So, I mean, it was tough, but I mean, it was fun because I always, like, watched him in college as well, too. Uh, I pulled up, like, YouTube clips and watched his footwork and just, just his style of play. And, yeah, he was definitely one of the hardest ones I had to guard. Utah Al <laughs> is a beast. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Al, Al Jefferson wasn't the most athletic um, player on the court, but he really knew how to have the right footwork. He had the right body to where he can push people around. He had the good size. You know, he was very he was very skilled as a ball player. That kind of reminded me of of your game a little bit in the sense where you really put a focus around the fundamentals of the game. So right. whether it's you know the the mid range jump shot that you killed, the backboard, whatever the case may be, is impressive to see a player like that. Especially because when I when I was doing just a, a little additional research on you, it, I was surprised at the fact that you were a late bloomer because your game didn't mm-hmm. show that you were a late bloomer. Yeah, I, I just like I guess like the hours I put in and just like the touch, like I kind of like broke it down. So I figured that if I have a, a hook that's great left and right, all I have to do is get to a spot that I want and shoot it. So if I'm backing someone down, if he's on one side of the shoulder, all I have to do is spin and shoot the hook that I shot thousands of times. Or if I shoot, if I go quickly and he bites, I just go and scoop it right under. I just really made it simple. I just simplified it. And the most important part is pace. So, I mean, when you have the ball, you know, you're in control. Don't let the mm-hmm. defender speed you up. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get inside the tempo of, um, you know, how you want to put the ball in the basket. Now, Andrew, after your time with the Magic, um, you uh, you were moved over to the Wizards, and then from the Wizards to Brooklyn. And then there was that decision that was made to join the CBA. Um, what what type of questions do you have to ask yourself in saying, okay, maybe maybe there is a better opportunity across across waters across the country to a place like China that's that's pretty unfamiliar, I would imagine. Yeah. So when that situation happened, I mean, I remember I got traded to to Portland, I kind of figured that my contract would have been waived and stretched because I put them over the salary caps. So we had a conversation with my agent. It was like, you know, do we go on a non-guaranteed deal and go to the camp, try to fight for a spot, or do we go and make um, this extra money overseas? And at that point, you know, because being in Brooklyn, I didn't really play that much. No, my, I, like, I'm a human being. My confidence was, wasn't very high. So I'm like, you know, let's go over to another place where I can, you know, get my mojo back and see what... Um, the next year holds because you know being in China, you know you also have the ability to join a team on like a, mm-hmm. a ten day or so, right? Mm-hmm. So I went to Guangdong, and um, we were very good. So I I stayed there until the end of April, which was past the deadline. But you know being there that la- being there that late, I started to you know start to feel like you know like I can like I know like, like I can play this game. So um, 
it was, being over there, you know, you have to be a scorer and um, you have to put up, you have to be efficient every night. Otherwise, they send you home. So, you know, having that uh, that extra push uh, enabled me to um, learn myself as a player. You know, my weaknesses, what I need to work on, and what um, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And uh, after that year, you know, we had the opportunity to do another non guarantee, but I was like, I really enjoyed, you know, learning who I was as a player over in China. So let's go back and let's do it again. And then I kept doing it, and the kids ended up here, still in um, playing with Guangzhou. Unfortunately, our season's you know pretty much canceled now, so um, I'm home now. But you know, being over there and being able to adapt, you know, it's a different style, and um, it made me you know become a better person. You know, not taking stuff that you in the NBA for granted that they do do overseas. Like for example, you know, we have to carry <laughs> our own shoes, we got to do our own laundry, get our own food, and do whatever. But you know, those little things I didn't really um, see, like, you know, appreciate as much in the NBA because the NBA, they give you everything, right? So being over there was very humbling, and um, I'm, I'm just happy I did it. I don't regret it at all. That's awesome, Andrew. I can just imagine, and it's, it's night and day, right, U.S. To, to China and the experiences overall. But for you personally, you know, what are some of the biggest differences in playing, you know, NBA, playing in China? Like you mentioned, th- as little things as carrying your own shoes and doing your own laundry, but what about the daily life on a, on the court and off the court? What are some of the things that for you were toughest to adjust at first? Uh, definitely the barrier, the language barrier. So my first year, I didn't speak a lick of Mandarin, and you know they don't speak a lick of English over there. So I, I had a translator with me everywhere I went. Um, so I didn't really want to have a translator everywhere I went. So I started to pick up on the language a little bit. So if I go to a restaurant, I'm able to order. If I want directions, I'm able to you know figure out how to get somewhere. But uh, living over there you know it's it was it was really like opening for me as a person because i had to i had a lot of downtime so i practice i come back to the hotel couldn't go anywhere couldn't do anything because you know i couldn't really talk to anybody but um then we had you know the breaks we had uh, two fever breaks and uh it was either be comfortable and fly back home for a week and then come back or i can stay in asia and get to explore mm-hmm. different parts of the world so my fiance we would go to like thailand or we go to the philippines or tokyo or something just to see a different part of asia you know and just educate ourselves on like how different parts of the world are so um being able to do that you know enabled me to say you know i've been to these parts of the world this is their kind of living so i kind of started to um, get a better understanding of how you know they live in china as well too and then i started to embrace the culture and uh enjoyed it that is super awesome so it did give you the, the time for personal travel. But w- one thing I'm interested in is how did the league travel? Like, what was the, what would you say is major differences between how the CBA travels with oh. players and how the NBA takes care of it? Oh, travel day is all day. It's always <laughs> delayed. It's you get in late. You leave early, you get in late. So it's like we travel domestic. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, you know, everything was delayed. We Average travel time could be two and a half to three hours, but with the delays, it could be seven or eight, right? So uh, we come in, we fly in, sometimes we go shoot around, sometimes we just go straight to the hotel. Uh, and then game day is the next day, and then after the game, we would stay there and we'd fly out the next morning, uh, another whole day. Perfect. So, I mean, yeah, definitely, it, yeah. you can definitely tell the difference between the NBA traveling and, and, and China travel in this case. Um, Oh yeah, NBA and the game's over. You're on the plane. You have lobster tail waiting for you. You know, <laughs> nice warm blanket. Land in the next city. Night and uh, day. 
<laughs> have you picked up some Mandarin? Are you able to speak it? I have. I have picked up some Mandarin. So just a basic Mandarin where I can, if I can order something or I can ask, you know, how to get there, some basketball stuff. That's really it. But nothing advanced. Nothing advanced enough to get by, right? <laughs> enough to get by, like broken. Like broken Mandarin. Gotcha. Now, one thing you mentioned is you, is you made certain things about the NBA. Now, in your future career, you're still a player that can come back, has shown enough talent in China to come back to the NBA. Is that in your plans? You know, if things align correctly, are you willing or would you like to come back to the NBA? Absolutely. I would like to, I would love to come back, but wherever the ball takes me <laughs> in this world, I'm always going to be grateful and thankful and adaptable for it because you know there's always there's always a plan and uh if my plan is if the plan is for me to come back i will come back with a big smile open-handedness but if my plan is to go play somewhere else and you know make a difference you know experience something that i need to experience and i'll do that, that as well too perfect that's an awesome mentality to have that that allows you to thrive because you're not you know holding yourself back by man i wish i was in a different situation that's um really honorable Absolutely. I can only control what I can control it, you know, I mean, we can only play basketball for so long, right? So you just got to make the best of any situation that it gives you. There's always a silver lining is what I say. Right. Now, does it does it make you feel um, more comfortable when you're playing in China with, I would imagine, having another U.S. player playing with you on the same roster? Yeah, it's great. I mean, you, you build a lot of relationships with them. So every uh, teammate that I played with, you know, we've become like great, great friends. Actually, they're at our wedding. They're all going to be coming. The two teammates I had in Guangdong, the two I had in Fujian, and the two I had in Guangzhou. So we're going to have a lot of people that are going to be going to be be at that because you make those relationships. Um, being overseas, basically, you're the only guys that speak English, right? You're the only imports, and you can either hate each other or you can love each other, and it makes it a lot easier if you love each other, right? right. So. <laughs> Andrew, we're going to jump into the this next portion um, that we call In the Ozone with Andrew Nicholson. Pretty simple. We're going to ask you some questions, and they're going to be rapid fire. All right? So okay. the very first one, why do you wear the number 44? You know, it's funny. That was the first number I had in high school, and I just rolled with it. I rolled with it all high school. I rolled with it all college. Any team I played for, like, in the summer or whatever, Always just got 44. China always had 44. Oddly enough, 44 is an unlucky number over in China. Oh, I, man. I don't know why, but... It's Interesting. Always, I, still, I still rock. There you go. <laughs> I still rock. So how about your favorite Chinese cuisine? I really love Hagao. So Hagao is like, um, it's like the shrimp dumpling that's... Um, uh, they boil it, and it's like... It, is it right? It's rice... Uh, Shrimp hagao is what I like. Shrimp hagao. Yeah, it's kind of like a dim sum. It's a dim sum. Okay. Uh, Favorite magic teammate? Favorite magic teammate? Man. Oh, I got a bunch of them. I was real real close with Tobias. I love Aaron Gordon. Aaron is such a good dude, man. He's humble. He works hard. And I, I always vibe with Aaron. Aaron's a great dude. Uh, Vucevic, of course. It's Victor Oladipo. You know, loved his singing. <laughs> 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 that was always singing. 
Yeah, they they need to make a song together. Yeah, I, All the Depot and Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I just good. thought about that. I heard Aaron's rapping right make now. Or he's got the album yeah. coming out. I was going to ask you, have you heard his songs yet? I I haven't heard his songs, but I heard talks of him releasing an album. I follow him on Instagram, so I've seen like an album songs. That'd be a great collab, man. A magic collab right there. Oh, we got to make it happen. If we need backup vocals, I'm more than happy to help, you know, so. There you go. <laughs> All right, so uh, Jack Vaughn or Scott Skiles? Scott Skiles, 100%. Nice. 100%. Scott Skiles gave me an opportunity to be successful my fourth year. Um, you know, he trusted me in that, that stretch that we were. That was a great year. I think we won, like, 36 games mm-hmm. or something like that. Man, the whole team dynamic just changed. Scott Skiles is one of my favorite NBA coaches I've had, for sure. He, he was he was tough. He was really tough, but you know he helped me get better. You know defensively because you know he, he held you accountable. If you're on the court, um, he'd always prepare you. So if you went up there and you messed up, there would be no excuse because you know shooting around, he prepared you and he just definitely changed the the whole mentality. And he he no. put me back in the post as opposed to shoving me in the corner like I did in my whole third year. <laughs> so I was like, okay, thank you for remembering that I can. I can do that. So um, definitely, uh, Scott Scott, he definitely had a good impact on me that. Was it a big surprise the following year when he decided just not to come back? Was it, like, towards the end of the season, was it something that maybe some of the players may have heard, were expecting, or was it a complete shock for everyone? You know, I, I, I heard it. I I don't know what exactly happened because, you know, um, between the coach and the management, you know, I'm a player. I don't really know what's going on up there, but um, – I was sad to hear it. I mean, yeah, he, he was he was tough, but he got us better. I mean, the three years prior, we won like 20-something games, low 20. Then he comes in and we win 37 or something like that. So I just – sometimes I think of what would have been if we if he stayed. Yeah. If we won maybe 40 games or not, you know. He's, regardless, I, I thought he was a great impact for us. So final question, kind of just self-reflective a little bit. If you could define Andrew Nicholson in one word, what would it be and why? Define me as the as a player, as a basketball player. In in life. Oh, in life? In one word, eh? Hmm. In one word. I could definitely say I'm very I'm, I'm very adaptable. In, in like in any situation, I always see you know, the silver lining and the positivity in it. Even when it's like, for me, like for example, basketball. When you're not playing, what do I do? I, look, I go in the weight room. I lift weight. Bill Burgos is one of my. Like me and him are still super close. Like even the times that I wasn't playing, he always got me ready. You know, I was always you know in shape. I was always strong. I always thought like there was an opportunity for me to get better. So when I went back on the court, I could show like you know I'm still here. And even when you are playing, you know you take you take you don't take that opportunity for granted. You go out there you give a thousand percent and you just you know support your team support your teammates because we're all playing for the right thing so regardless of any situation i always try to make the best out of it mr ymca i appreciate you joining us on the podcast um thank you so much and it it was a pleasure man thank you anytime man it's fun thank you for listening to the ozone podcast the voice of magic fans be sure to visit our website theozonepod.com And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.